following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Pastor Steve, if you're visiting with us this morning, um, my name is Jed. Um, and uh, Steve will be back next week. So um, if you have any questions this morning, I encourage you to find me or Pastor Kurt or anyone else and uh, who, who has uh, an official bearing about them. I don't know if I do, but Kurt does. But, um, and uh, we encourage you, stay for the picnic afterwards. We would love to have you. So it's good to have you this morning. Well, before we begin this morning, let me read from Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, verse, excuse me, 41, verse 17. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, and the olive. I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together, that they may see and know, may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, Your children today, are in great need. We are in great need of pools of water in the desert. We are in great need for You to father us, to lead us. And I take great comfort this morning knowing how fallible I am and how perfect a Father You are and how perfect You lead us. So Lord, I pray this morning that You would take Your Word and cause the words to jump off the page, Holy Spirit. Cause the words to infect our hearts Cause our hearts to be changed. But do it in such a way that all here know that it is the hand of the Lord that has done this. That it is the Holy One of Israel that has created it. Oh Lord, I pray this morning, would You give us a little bit of reviving? Or would You give us a lot? After all, Most of us here are your children. And there's a cross behind me. Visible proof of how much you love your own. Perfect love. Perfect grace. So I pray 
this morning, not because of us, but because You are a God of abundant grace and overflowing mercy. Would You flow that to us this morning? Give us hearts to hear, believe, receive, and surrender. We believe. Help our belief this morning. Give us eyes to see, we pray. Amen. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 15. Matthew 15. What do you do when you run out of options? What do you do when you run out of options? What do you do when you're cornered? What do you do when the fact that your, your loss of options being cornered is, is, is unrelenting and no further steps are left to you? What do you do? Well, for one segment of people in our society, the answer to that is quite alarming. Increasingly, especially among men over 50 in our society, the alarming answer is to end it, to end it all. A recent article in the Washington Post notes this, and the writer asks this question, how did a generation that started out with so much going for it end up so despondent in, middle, in midlife? And then a researcher adds this in the same article, this explanation. There was an illusion of choice where people thought they'd be able to recreate themselves again and again. These people feel a greater sense of disappointment because their expectations of leading glorious lives didn't come to fruition. Well, this is not just a generational problem. It's not just a male problem. It's an everybody problem. What do you do? How do we view the loss of all options? What's happening here? God, why are you doing this? Is there a purpose in my glorious life not coming to fruition? What are you doing? Instead of embracing the despair and destroying ourselves, either by one act or a thousand acts, instead of destruction, how do I find hope? Where's the place of life, of real life, the good life that, I, that everybody looks for? Nobody has to be told to look for it. We all do. Where is it found? Well, the woman that we're going to read about today, she found it. She found it. In her desperation, in her running out of options, in her great need, she found it. In the wilderness, God provided for her a pool of living water. In fact, she found the path to real life, the good life that each of us is looking for though she had no right to it. So we find Jesus in Matthew 14 plowing the path to that. We're going to get to Matthew 15, but, but first we find Him in Matthew 14 plowing the path to that place, preparing that place. But it's rough going. Herod has beheaded John the Baptist. Jesus is rejected in His hometown. And even though Jesus displays that He's the bread of life, the creator of life, and the restorer of life, 
The religious authorities still complained to him in chapter 15, verse 2. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Why don't your disciples follow our man-made rules to be righteous? Why don't your disciples rely on human power and human resources and human tradition to find blessing like we do? See how blessed we are? But Jesus will make it very clear that the problem is not one of externals. The problem is not what we do or don't do. The problem is in the heart. But so is the solution. The place of blessing has to do with the heart. So let me read beginning in uh, chapter 15, verse 3. He answered them, Jesus, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Jesus makes it very clear the problem is with the heart. There are some who look like they've been planted by streams of living water, but one day they will be rooted up, Jesus says. And in verse 14, he gives a subtle warning to the disciples. To the disciples, beware that you too are not led into a pit. Beware that you are not led by the blind, those who who seek a righteousness of their own. He does this again later in chapter 16 when he says, beware of the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees. Beware, you disciples, beware that you are not led into a life of self-righteousness, claiming that you trust Christ, but really in all of your life trusting in yourself. A pit awaits. So after the confrontation at the beginning of chapter 15, Jesus leaves Israel. Fascinating. This is new. He's, he's never done this before. Not in his ministry. Um, but something new is breaking in. Something new is happening. He's about to be confronted with a Canaanite woman. And then he will feed 4,000 more people, mostly Gentiles. The full blessings of David's kingdom are being made available to David's house 
But as they reject this greater David and all of his blessings and all of the privileges that he brings, the disciples are meant to understand that those blessings will not go wasted. The Gentiles will be invited to feast at David's table. But how? How does someone who does not belong to David's house enter into and continually enjoy the blessings of David's house? How does that work? What does that look like? And by the way, what does that have to do, this ethereal talk of David's table and David's blessings and and privilege and David's house, what does that have to do with the fact that right now I feel cornered? I'm out of options. That's nice, Pastor, but what does that have to do with right now? I hope that you will see today that there is complete overlap between the two. God, give me words to say it. So, chapter 15, verse 21, excuse me, verse 22, Behold, a Canaanite woman. And uh, behold is right, because just as odd as it is for Jesus to leave Israel and head north into what is now uh, modern-day Lebanon and, and Syria, so we find a Canaanite woman leaving her home and heading south. She's heading south to look for help herself, for herself, for her daughter, to the sworn enemies of the Canaanites, the Israelites. Odd. And behold is right because she continually cries out to Jesus, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Over and over and over again she's saying this. She is desperate. Like any good mother, she's looking for help. Going so far as to leave her own country and seek help from her enemies. It doesn't matter. So she appeals to Jesus in three ways. First, she calls Him Lord. Three times she will call Him this. Lord, Lord, Lord. This seems to be simple humility, simple honor to the One who is powerful and has all authority. She calls out to Him, Lord, Son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Son of David. She acknowledges that He is the offspring of David, the one with blessing and power, the one that the Israelites were promised long ago and continue to await. But she also appeals to Him by the desperateness of her situation. And we don't know exactly what was wrong with her daughter. We know that a lot of things back then were ascribed to demon possession. But we know it was severe. It was bad. And she hopes that the the desperateness of her situation will bring compassion. That it will gain her standing with Jesus. She's desperate. But then, silence. Jesus doesn't answer her a word. Verse 23, But He did not answer her a word. And His disciples came and begged Him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. They're under siege. They faced lots of large crowds before, thousands of people. But you know what? Don't get in the way of a mother bear and her cub. (laughs) That's what's happening here. They are under siege. They don't know what to do. 
Lord, look, we, we know she's a Canaanite and all, but, but, but just this once, just give her what she's asking for. Just give her what she wants and then send her away. Whoa. We don't know what to do. Just give her what she wants. Which is why Jesus replies in verse 24 to the disciples, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is rough stuff. This woman's desperate. What's going on here? Not the house of the Canaanites. Just because she knows the right name to call Jesus, just because she has some familiarity with who Jesus is, doesn't mean she had any standing with Him. She needed standing. That she was born to the wrong house. She was born to the wrong house. So she was using the wrong name. She had no right to cry out to Him, Son of David, have mercy on me. Because she's not a daughter of David. She's not a daughter of the kingdom. So then... Silence. Seems mean, doesn't it? I mean, is Jesus being mean here? That's what it seems like. I mean, at least to our ears, we who worship niceness. <laughs> but if Jesus were nice by our standards, he would not have been lavishly gracious to her. Lavishly. Yes lavishly, incredibly gracious. Jesus did, though, only come for the house of Israel. Jesus Himself was sent by the Father to bring salvation to the Jews. So I need to explain this for a second. This was a real limitation on Jesus' ministry on earth, His brief ministry while a man on earth. He was sent to bring the good news of the kingdom to the Jews. The Jews had priority over the rest of the world in hearing the gospel. They heard it first. It's true. That's how God designed it. The children must be fed first. But then, then salvation would come from the Jews. That's what's breaking in here. Salvation would come to the Jews and from the Jews to the rest of the world. So this is... This captures some of the sense of what Jesus was telling the Samaritan woman in John 4 when he said, salvation is from the Jews. The children must be fed first, but something new is breaking in. The rest of the world will be fed. Salvation is from the Jews. So what she's asking for here, she's asking for the benefits for which God had only covenanted to the Jews. So what to do? Because all her options are done. She has no other options. What to do? Silence. It's not my mission. What to do? But there is one way, one way that Jesus wants her to find and the disciples to see. He is gently and graciously leading her to the place of ultimate blessing, of total blessing, far beyond what she is asking for, far beyond what she can imagine. She is, she is so close, so close. So in verse 25, after overhearing Jesus 
say this. She, she gives up the whole Son of God thing. And uh, she simply comes and kneels before Him. Again, she calls Him Lord. Lord, help me. Period. Help me, Lord. And Jesus replies with an analogy that again seems, well, rude. Not nice. But it is a perfect picture to describe the situation. Verse 26. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Like now, lots of homes in those days had dogs. Some people point out that in the Greek here, Jesus used the, the, uh, the name for house dog as opposed to like a wild, rabid pack dog. You know, at least he didn't call her that. But uh, I think that in any generation, in any place in the world, being called a poodle is a bit of an insult. You know, I think. It can feel demeaning. Except, except our one primary witness, the one person to whom this is said to, doesn't see it that way. Not at all. Where the proud, the scribes, the Pharisees would have heard a demeaning word, she saw herself. She accepted the analogy. She accepted the analogy because the dog of the house is completely dependent upon the Lord of the house for life, for blessing, for help. This analogy is a matter of utter dependence. So she replies in verse 27, she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. (laughs) Masterly reply. You are right, Lord. I am completely dependent on you. I I look completely to you. And and even a crumb from your table is enough. It is you. It is you alone that that I trust and that I put my entire hope in. I accept how you have arranged things. I am not going to complain to you or shake my fist at you that I should have been made someone other than a Canaanite. How dare you make me a Canaanite and not an Israelite? I'm not going to do that. I accept the way things are, the way that you have designed them, and I throw everything upon you. I know the reward of your gracious help is more than enough. You see, this is the place. This is the place that that Jesus, that God has been leading her to. This is the moment. It was God that permitted this, this terrible turmoil of her daughter. This terrible turmoil that caused her to leave her homeland. It was God that did that. It was God that timed it such that as she left her homeland and as Jesus was leaving His, that they would meet. It was God that caused her to to find Jesus. And it was the God-man Jesus who who gently cornered her and led her to this one place, this this one place where all of the blessings of David's kingdom come down to this one point. Faith alone, in Christ alone, anticipating His grace alone. That is it. That's the place. So, you, you have to hear 
and and feel and see the the warmth and the acceptance and the release the pleasure in Jesus when he replies back at her in verse 28 oh woman oh woman Jesus rarely said that little phrase the the o oh there implies great warmth great acceptance like a father to a daughter oh woman great is your faith be it done for you as you desire and her daughter was healed instantly from that hour she was healed her faith is great because with the eyes of faith she saw through to the character of God to the overflowing mercy of God her faith is great but the reward was great too I'm not talking about the healing of her daughter I'm talking about the, those eyes the welcome of God into her household being welcomed in and finding that one place where all blessing is found. The healing of her daughter was just God being God to her, God being father to his daughter and saying, out of the riches with which I love you, yes, I'll heal your daughter. There's a lot more where that came from, my daughter. It's just the father loving his daughter through the son. So the Canaanite woman pictures for us a truth that we all must understand. We all must understand and act upon. That God sovereignly leads his own to overflowing blessing by drawing them to cry for mercy. I'll say that again. God sovereignly leads his own to overflowing blessing by drawing them to cry for mercy. I have to get both parts there because we hear the part about crying out for mercy and maybe we, we think that's unfair. We think that God is capricious and mean. But He's not because He is leading us to this one place where all blessing is found. So there are three elements pictured here. Three elements of this, this cry for mercy. Three elements. First, persistent surrender. Persistent surrender to the plan of God and the Son of God. Persistent surrender. Number two, a childlike resting in the Son of God. A childlike resting in the Son of God. And number three, A childlike, persistent anticipation of the grace of God. A childlike, persistent anticipation of the grace of God. And my prayer, my prayer for us today is that He would work in us and bring this about in us. A persistent surrender to God, to how He has set things up and what He is doing. Day after day, in the big moments and in the small moments, that he would bring about a childlike resting to the Son of God in you and me. And a faithful, a childlike 
anticipation of Him lavishing His grace upon us. So as Pastor Kurt pointed out last week, no one wants to surrender. But we see here how God is actually doing good and being lavishly gracious to bring us to this point because this is where all of the blessings of David's kingdom are found. And because all of us are Canaanite by birth, we all are. We're all born to an enemy race with rebellious hearts. We are all born with one fist, or maybe two, clenched against God. We are all Canaanites by birth. And all of us must be made to take that fist and to open it to receive Him. That fist must be made to open. But there are two kinds of surrender. And if you've been around kids at all, you've seen both these. Uh, the first one is the, the laying down of arms reluctantly. You know, the, the throwing down of the rifle, bottom lip sticking straight out, fist still clenched but now just thrust into the pocket. Storming away. <clears throat> There's that kind of surrender, which is really just being subdued. No, that, that's not really su- the surrender we're talking about here. But there is another, illustrated in the three verses of Psalm 131. And I, if you need some Sunday reading, this would be a great place to just meditate and soak. Psalm 131. There the psalmist says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. The surrender that this woman displays is not a, not a fitful, uh, rebellious surrender. <laughs> but it is a childlike surrender that rests. A childlike surrender that hopes in God. There is no kingdom without humbling ourselves like a child and surrendering like a child to rest in His everlasting arms. That is the only path to the kingdom. But how do I do that, you ask? What does that look like? And you should ask that. You should ask that because you are Canaanite, and so am I. None of us are born with the right to receive the blessings of the kingdom. We all are born with Canaanite blood in us, with fist clenched. And that fist is still prone to clench again. So what does this look like? Well, acknowledge Jesus as your Lord. Acknowledge Him as your Lord and bend your knee to Him in surrender. And then you are free to do something unexpected. Because at this point, you are so close. So close. By faith, go and take it. 
take it. Persistently go and get it. Get the kingdom. Don't lay back. Go and get it. Jesus said the kingdom is the most priceless thing. It is a precious pearl that you have found in the field. So go, run ahead to the land office and buy the field. Go and get it. It is there for you. Don't wait. Jesus said this marvelously strange phrase that the kingdom is something so precious that the violent take it by force. So go. Fight for it. Get it. Rifle this thing. Take the word of God and eat it as your very food. Go and get the kingdom. Find out what the will of the Lord is for you here. Find out how He would have you surrender to Him and submit to Him. Just as Jesus is doing with this woman. Leading her gently to this very point. It is all here. The path is right here before you. Eat this up. (laughs) Go and get it. Don't lay back. Don't lay back. Barge in. Don't be nice. Forget niceness. kingdom is not promised to the nice. It's promised to the poor in spirit. And you and I are Canaanite. We are poor in spirit. We have no business. We have no right to this. And yet Jesus is saying, come, eat. So fight for it. Rifle through the Scriptures. Search and pray and knock and knock and knock and knock and knock and do not give up until He gives it to you. Because He is faithful. But He is he is being faithful to you and He will not give to the, the kingdom to people who blithely just say the right words. Oh, Son of David, say I said the right thing. Can I have the kingdom? No. He gives it to those who take it by force, who see it's a tremendous value and go and give everything up for it. So pray, 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 pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon you and change your heart and to bring you to this one point. Something unexpected happens when we surrender. We are now free. We are free to aggressively pursue, persistently pursue life. But it starts with surrender. But perhaps you have done this, perhaps long ago, and you, you, you remember what it felt like to take His yoke upon you. You... You remember what that was like? You, you remember that the sky was bluer? You, you remember the, the lift, the paradoxical lift that taking His yoke upon you felt like? Oh, those are glorious days. Glorious days. You remember that and you remember how gentle and, and perfect the Lord Jesus truly is. You remember feeling that and sensing that and seeing it. The eyes of faith. But now perhaps the lightness is gone. Things look more bleak now. You feel old. 
Not, not chronologically, spiritually. You feel old. You feel cornered and far from Him. You, you, just, you, you didn't think it was going to be like this. You find yourself shaking your fist at God. Well, maybe not literally at God, but maybe just at everybody else, which is kind of the same thing. You object to His plan, to His choosing and His arranging of your life. Now, I don't know all the particulars of your situation. I don't know all of God's purposes in your life. But I know this about me, that I am so prone, once having experienced the awesome blessing, to become big, too big for my britches. And uh, to become proud and to drift. To drift. To drift away from abiding in Him. Do you know why Jesus did all this for the Canaanite woman? Do you know why He, he brought her to this place? What was Jesus' purpose? It was that, so that she would believe and, and take up His yoke and follow Him that she would abide in Him. That she would abide in Him. That's what Jesus wanted. He wanted her. And in gaining her, He gives her the blessings of the kingdom. He wanted her. This is the point of what, what abide means. It means when Jesus says this in John 15, abide in Me, He commands us this. And He commands us this. He commands me this because I am so prone to drift. But He commands us to abide. And when He does, He means to persistently surrender to Him as Lord in every aspect of life, large and small. Surrender. The reason why we don't continue in that state of, of childlike rest in Him is because we disobey His command to abide in Him. To surrender. To live lives of growth in surrender. One of the most beautiful prayers of any Christian, a healthy prayer is, Lord, whatever. Whatever. Whatever You would have me go through, whatever You would take me through, it's worth it. Because You are my blessing. It is all on You. Every good thing comes from You. Whatever. So we must humble ourselves under His mighty hand and surrender. And when we become proud and we cease to abide in Him because we are His own, he will jealously bring us back. He will do this. That's the kind of father that he is. We can bet on it. He will use our circumstances in a good and gracious way to do this. The question is, will we surrender? Will we grow in surrender? To abide in him means to live a life surrendered to him in big ways and small. Will you surrender? 
And we grow and surrender by remembering that we were once Canaanites. Sometimes in our wandering pride, we begin to think that we've earned it or that we've grown to deserve a chair at the table. I don't know, maybe not you, me. So we need to remember so that our demanding souls would be quieted like a weaned child. Paul speaks to this in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 11. He says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, no options, and without God in the world. The reason why we had no hope, the reason why we had no options, was because we were without God. That was our problem. And we were without God because of our rebellious hearts. But God in His infinite love aims to bring us back to that place, to bring us back to the point of surrender where all blessing is found. So we need to grow in surrender. Surrender is not just our ticket in. It is our reality. It is our place of blessing. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? How did He begin the Sermon on the Mount? Remember? Who comes to possess right now in the present the kingdom of the heavens? Who is that? The poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. Those who, don't, those who know that they don't deserve it. That they have no right to it. But search for it and, and get it. They give up everything to find it because they know it is an inestimable treasure. So we need to remember our Canaanite heritage. We need to remember our our old lack of options, our our old lack of hope, and abide in Him. To live lives of, if I can put it this way, of aggressive surrender. Aggressive surrender. The, The poor in spirit abide in Him and receive the kingdom. The poor in spirit abide by surrender to Him. We surrender to Christ alone. It it must be Him. He must be the one that we must surrender to. Because by surrendering to Him, we give up every other thing that we could possibly use to ingratiate ourselves to Him. We accept our place in the universe as a Canaanite and we throw ourselves completely upon Him then He gets all the glory and we get all good. This means we give up trying to gain standing with Him just by by knowing the right words to say. So I want to say to, to you kids, kids, the point, the point of Sunday school, the point of the five day club that a lot of you just went through was not just to have all the right answers. It wasn't just to know just the right words to say and how to, how to say prayers. And that was not the point. Do you remember what Mrs. Snyder said on the last night? The point is to trust in Jesus alone. To trust Him with all of your might. To trust Him with all that you are. That's the point. We don't get to make up any old Jesus that we want to. There is only one Jesus and He is King. 
And we only come to Him by trusting Him completely and alone. Not trusting ourselves. But trusting Him for what? Well, to gain access into God's house. But how can we? We don't belong there. And, and now we come to one of the most, I think one of the most amazing aspects of the cross. Paul states this beautifully at the end of Romans 4 when he says that Christ was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. At the cross, Jesus paid for all of our sins in our place. So all of the mercy in the universe was bought for us at the cross for every sin. But He was raised. He was raised from the dead. He was really dead. And He was raised from the dead for our justification, for our standing perfectly right before God. In other words, God was perfectly pleased with His Son. Perfectly And so to demonstrate that to all the world, He raised Him from the dead. And by faith in Christ, we too are treated the exact same way by God. Because Christ is raised from the dead, we too are raised from the dead. We too are treated the exact same way by the Father. Perfect pleasure, perfect acceptance, perfect welcome into His very throne room. We could say at the cross, we didn't get what we did deserve, and at the empty tomb we got what we could never deserve. To be treated as the privileged children of the King. With access to all of the blessings of His house. So that's the, that's the sense of the next few verses in Romans where Paul says, therefore since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God a peace that yields this, this childlike resting like a weaned child with its mother. Through our Lord Jesus Christ and through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, in which we continually stand before the Father. We stand before Him with access to all that He has only by faith in Christ alone. This is incredibly important because we are so prone to forget this. Mercy, forgiveness, total acceptance, peace, and access to all of the unmerited favor of God upon you is gained by faith in Christ alone. To enter the throne room of God and to ask ask for His favor upon you depends on one thing and one thing only. Who you are with. That's it. You enter on the basis of who you are with. By faith alone in Christ alone comes God's massive grace. So are we talking about becoming a Christian here or living as a Christian? Yes. (laughs) The answer is yes. Both. It's not about knowing just the right lingo or just the right prayer formulas. We enter the place of blessing only because of who we are with. Not 
by having a desperate or terrible testimony are not even, and I, and I want to say this gently, it is not based on how desperate your situation is. Because God is in charge of that situation and He is using it to bring us more. He is bring, using it to bring us to the place of, of all blessing. That doesn't mean we don't cry out to Him about our situation. That doesn't mean that we don't, we don't cling to Him. We do over and over and over again. We knock, we knock, we knock, we knock. But He hears us based solely upon one thing, faith in His Son. That is our only passport into His very throne room and to access to all of His grace. That is our only way. Or flip it over. You're not disqualified because you don't have a sordid testimony or because your situation presently is not tenuous or desperate. By faith alone, in Christ alone. We stand in the place of His complete unmerited favor by faith alone in His Son alone from the stance of surrender. So what makes you righteous before Him? What gives you access to God? What do you lean on? Do you feel like you have access when the parenting's going okay? Do you feel like you have access to God and His grace when there's money in the bank? Or do you feel like you have access to God when there's not money in the bank? Or when things are really desperate with the kids? Either way, our only access, our only hope is in Christ alone. By faith in Him alone. And I want to say, again, I hope rightly and gently, that if you are especially in need of compassion today, in the words of an old pastor, uh, you're probably better off seeking compassion from Jesus than from Jesus' people. <laughs> because Jesus' people are all just redeemed Canaanites. We are all just a dim reflection of the awesome compassion that is found in those eyes of Christ. Sometimes the best thing that we come up with is, Lord, give him whatever he wants because I don't know what's going on around here. <clears throat> but in Christ, there is total, complete compassion in those eyes. Those eyes that say, Oh woman, oh man, oh my daughter, oh my son. My, before the retreat, my son came to me and uh, he's... Well, he just turned six. And as I'm going out the door, he handed me this little thing of Legos. It's just, just a few pieces put together. And he said something about checkers or something. But I don't even, it didn't even look like checkers. And he, and he came to me and he handed it to me and he said, Here, Dad, I, I made this for you. I, I made this for you for your retreat. This thing, it had no, no help to me. It had no value to me for the retreat at all. I still don't even know what it is. But what do you think the look in my eyes was? What do you think that looked like? What do you think I said? I think I actually said, Oh, buddy, thank you, son. And I gave him a hug. Why? N not because this had any value. It was, 
but I took it to the retreat and I had it next to my bed and the guys in the room are probably wondering, why does Jed bring Legos to the retreat? <laughs> but it was it's because he's, he's my son. That's why. That's why. That's the whole point. That's why God was leading this woman to this place. So that she would see that and experience that. So in Jesus, we, we don't just get what we ask for. He, he knows you through and through, whoever you are. He knows you through and through. And whatever He's taking you through, if you trust Him, you can, you can know that His eyes of compassion are on you. You can know that they are eyes of affection, not condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But He might be leading you to this place out of love for you. Out of love. You can know that that, that old woman or old man is for you. You were once far off, but you have been brought near. You can know that by the blood of Christ, you are no longer a stranger or an alien, but you are a fellow citizen with all the other saints. And you are a member of the household of God, as Paul says in Ephesians. You are a privileged son or daughter of the king with access to all that is his, all the grace that you need. You are accepted. You are not left alone. So we need to, we need to surrender to his plan. We need to trust in Christ alone, anticipating his grace alone. Because in accepting her place and, and trusting Christ as the only way to blessing, this woman knew, she knew that the crumbs from the table would be enough. That is the only way this works. By looking for it and expecting it. But in the drift, we, we think the opposite. We, we think that God has something up there. It's just not what we're asking for. It's just not what we need. But that's not true. He has everything. He has more. In fact, God is always doing more than we deserve. More than we know. More than enough. A life of surrender to Christ out of trust in Christ waits for and anticipates this kind of grace. So we need faith for this. This is the point of the ending of the story. Matthew's not giving us a kind of a sitcom ending here, you know? Everything wraps up fine in a half an hour. That's not how Matthew sees grace where every child is healed and every prayed-for family member is saved and every new job is granted. But He does want us to see the kind of grace that is always at work. Always. It is always as a perfect father to a beloved child. Always. It is never impotent. It always does what it pleases. God always does what is, what is pleasing to Himself what glorifies Himself and what is for our good to His own. And even, even when it is quiet and hidden, even when we are leaving home to look for help, and even when the answer is silence, even when it seems our options have all run out, His grace is still working. His grace is still at work It is enough. 
He is still bringing you, His beloved child, to this place of ultimate blessing. Will you trust Him? Will you trust Him in this? Will you surrender to Him? Will you throw everything upon His Son? And will you eagerly anticipate His grace? May God give us the grace to surrender to Him, trusting in Him alone, looking to His grace alone. Let's pray. Lord, we are a needy people. And I thank You and I praise You that even when we become proud, seek to become little gods and establish our own little kingdoms, You love us and You love us such that You jealously bring Your kingdom to us. You jealously and graciously tear down the kingdoms that we are setting up and establish Your own. Because that is the place of ultimate blessing. Thank You that You are this kind of God. Thank You that You are this kind of Father. Would You give us grace to believe this? Would You give us grace to believe this and to believe that there is all blessing in You and to hunt You down, to hound You, to persistently surrender to You and find You. And as we search for You, would You let us be found by You? There are those here today who are searching for You. Would You let them be found by You? Would You grant them rest? Rest for their weary souls. And not only would You let them rest for their weary souls, but would You give them grace to abide, to continue in this surrender? Would You do this in all of us? Would You do that so that You would be shown to be the one who is giving the strength? So that You would be shown to be the one who is providing the healing, the strength, the blessing for Your glory. Because all of our good is intertwined and tied up in Your getting glory. So would You do this, Father, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is... Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.